Welcome, everyone, to It's a Rap with Rap. I am your host, Ron Rappaport. This podcast features people who have overcome life's challenges and adversities, people who can inspire and motivate, and people who can educate us on an assortment of topics. My guest today is Peggy Green, author of Life After Child Loss, The Mother's Survival Guide to Cope and Find Joy. Peggy is a mother, fitness coach, grief coach, author, speaker, suicide bereavement coach, owner of her own business, The Grief Specialist, and a leader who has overcome the odds. She is an Amazon best-selling author who has experienced the loss of not just one child, but two. Her first child by accident in 1991 and her son by suicide in 2018. Her mission is to make an impact and help others through the grieving process. Welcome, Peggy, to the podcast. Yes, thank you so much. It's my honor and pleasure to be here today. Glad to have you, and thanks for being here and guiding our audience through this difficult topic. Does one ever get over their loss? Outsiders have the expectation that you will return to the way you were before all this happened, and one should easily move on in life, and there is a time limit on grief, so to speak. Uh, Ron, I wish I could say that there was a time limit on it. There is healthy components to grieving and you normal grieving get to a point where it no longer um, engulfs every waking moment that you're able to resume some set of normalcy. You don't get over your loss. You move through it and learn to navigate it in those times when things can be difficult, but you don't get over it and after losing my daughter 30 years ago, I still have pangs of, of grief sure. and that I still remember her and, and um, have some moments of sadness. Okay, well, uh, what brought you into the path of becoming a grief coach? That in itself has been a journey. I have been in coaching in some form or another as a personal trainer, helping with nutrition, also a wellness coach. And after my son passed away, it was more of a natural course of action. I wrote my book, Life After Child Loss, and along with it was an accompanying um, grief program to help others through that loss. And so it was natural to combine my ability to help impact and change lives. And I really feel that I am the specialist and I, the name of my company is the with two E's because I've had so much experience in it. Not only have I lost two children, but I've had both parents pass, my sister, close friends and um, other cousins and nieces and nephews. So through all that 30 years of being a bereaving mom, I've been a healing mom. And so I'm sharing all my practical experiences. It's um, almost you know, my calling, my mission to be able to help others. I definitely understand that. Definitely understand that. What functions, can you tell our audience, what functions does a grief coach do to help others? Yeah, and I love this question because I am a grief coach. I am not a licensed psychologist or therapist. And so where I come from is I have a holistic approach to health and healing, um, helping you to move through your grief. And so I come alongside you with 
all of my practical experiences and not just theory and challenge you to think differently, act differently, and really find in some way how you can take this tragedy and take something good out of it. We don't celebrate our losses by any means, but we look towards the future versus just looking into the past and what caused it. It's like, we've been dealt this hand, now what do we do with it? So what is the difference uh, for our audience between grief coaching and grief therapy or counseling? Yeah, well, with my coaching, it, I actually have a dedicated program. So it follows, there is an agenda um, as we go through it. So I, my current program is where we actually learn how to accept our loss and what's blocking us, what fears are keeping us from being able to move through that and accept it. And so each week it's a dedicated subject and to focus on that and alongside that is giving practical tools to be able to get through those times. And therapy, counseling, you know, they may offer medications and it's more of, okay, what's bothering you today? And let's talk about that. So I come in with a specific program and agenda. There's a dedicated start and finish time. And then if somebody feels the need to touch base with me on go deeper into some of those subjects, we can do that. So I'd say that's a big difference. So Peggy, how soon uh, should one seek a grief counselor? How yeah. soon after yeah. their loss? You know, what I recommend on this, Ron, I liken it to having an injury. Um, I was in an automobile accident and I immediately went to the emergency room. They x-rayed it and iced it and put a temporary splint on it and then you know, went home for the weekend. And then I followed up with an appointment with my orthopedic doctor for further diagnostics and, and a cast. And so I sought treatment right away. Right. And the same thing with grief is because we're in that state of shock and we don't know what to do and to seek support to be able to even help you to get through those initial phases, like my initial diagnostics. And so, you know, um, and that support can be the close friends and family and then getting through part of that and then seeking um, a higher level of expertise. Like I sought the orthopedic doctor versus just seeing um, the on-call doctors at, at the emergency room. I so I really suggest seeking help and support immediately. Grief is not a journey meant to be done alone. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Now, some people out there may think, and uh, if you can answer this, does coaching impede the grieving process? No, I believe that it does not. You know, as a coach, I don't tell anybody what to think. I help them to look at the options and really help them to realize what path they want to take. It really helps to facilitate that grieving process. You know, just a side tangent here is that in the United States, we expect everybody to get over, get through their losses, right. and we right. no longer support others in that process. And so a grief coach helps to fill in the gaps in the traditional support that we used to have as we grieved 
as we traveled our lost journeys. Yeah, that was kind of like my first question. A lot of people think, well, you know, uh, a, a, a while of time went back or, or we, we passed some time and, and now you should be over it. And that's just not not the way it is. But there's a lot of people who think like that, mm-hmm. especially in the workplace. You know, like, let's get back to work. So, Peggy, is it is it better to work individually or in a group session with the with the grief counseling? You know, um, I think that this one is very everybody grieves differently and you can get support in a grief group and you can work a little bit more customized on your very specific problems working with the coach. And I think sometimes um, that working one-on-one really helps to open up those um, healing opportunities and to dive deeper into what you're experiencing. Sure. Um, Okay. What qualities should one look for in seeking a grief counselor? Okay. Yeah. So as a, as a grief coach, you know, I really recommend when they whether it's a counselor or a coach, I recommend three things to evaluate when you're looking at one is what kind of experience do they have in helping you through your circumstances? So in my case with child loss, I've been through it twice. So I, I know what that journey is like. So that question is what kind of practical experience do they have? Second is, so the tools and techniques which they recommend, are they ones that they have personally used and experienced and and found that they work? And my answer to that is absolutely yes, because everything I recommend is something that I have personally done and know that it works. And evaluating that and knowing that it's a combination of things, it's not a one and done or one size fits all, but using multiple tools and resources and then the third one, how passionate are they about doing this? You know, what is the reason why they're there to help you? And as for me, with my loss 30 years ago, there wasn't support. I had my mom and my sister, but as far as books or grief coaches, grief counselors, that wasn't available. But yet I traveled it and felt so alone. So I'm right. passionate about keeping others from having to do it. Right. This road right. by themselves. You had that difficult path. You don't want anybody else having to go down that road. That's absolutely. So those three points. Okay. Practical experience, tools and techniques, and how passionate is that grief counselor? Is grief yes. counseling available uh, for groups such as say uh, families, or maybe there was something that happened in a classroom and uh, a group of students need it? Is, is is that available? That is available. That's not one of my um, specialties, but it is available. And if you find as a community or group family or classroom, um, that's definitely a, a very common experience. And to be able to process that together, I think is very helpful um, because sometimes, you know, just like I was mentioning, you know, characteristics of finding a good grief coach is like, well, what, what's their common ground in doing that in a group setting so that you gain the support and the encouragement um, from others. Now, my word of caution when it comes to groups, though, is that you have participants in all levels of their grief. 
some yeah. of those who are able to accept and, and want to be able to move forward and understand what it takes to be able to live a fulfilling life. And then others who cannot, will not accept it and continue to tear the bandage off, relive their pain and stay in those circumstances. So, you know, if you're in a group, be mindful that um, you want it to be a group where everybody is moving forward. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. You don't want anybody holding you back. How can a friend, for instance, steer someone to a grief counselor without offending the grieving person? Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, I think definitely knowing the person that they're referring to. So not just saying, hey, I saw this person on um, you know, the internet and I think that they'd be a good person knowing what characteristics and style. So if somebody were to refer me and say, hey, you know, Peggy's walked this path with child lost twice and she understands and really sharing with your friend from your heart and saying, you know, I, I love you, I care about you. I cannot fully relate because I haven't lost a child. And I see that your pain is, is very difficult and maybe consider talking to this person who has been through it and just see what, how they can help you. Yeah, yeah, that's a good approach. How has COVID affected the uh, death and the grief paradigm process? For example, rage, uh, you have a lot of anger out there, loss of livelihood. Uh, loss of the home, separation. How do we address all the loss and grief since March 2020? And do you address those types of loss other than than death? Yeah, well, you are you absolutely nailed it that there are so many different types of grief. I mean, that's relationships, loss of life, loss of income, loss of job, loss of freedoms right. as we've been quarantined in so um the losses had really manifested themselves with COVID and mm -hmm. it has added a new depth, a new layer to what we're going through. We've seen an increase of suicide rates because of the isolation. And um, so that has been so much greater. Now, grief is grief, you know, when you lose something, I mean, even if you were to have a pet pass away because people have those close relationships with them, um, you know, the, to process that loss is the same type of steps where you accept it and what keeps you from moving forward through it and then learning the tools and techniques to do it. So, you know, um, I really believe that we all experience some type of grief and you can use the same sort of tools. Now, personally, I um, work with loss of, um, loss of life and more specialized with children and even more so with those who've lost a child to suicide. So tell us about the multiple uh, physical symptoms of grief. Uh, can you explain to us the two types of grief, normal or complicated? Yeah, you know, this is one of the things that I bring to the table as we as I mentioned that I brought together personal training and nutrition and a holistic approach to the healing process. Um, so many times grief counselors only work with 
the mind and mental and emotional. And I work with uh, physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual in looking at the whole body. And, you know, grief can manifest itself physically in so many ways. Right. Um, it can manifest itself into weight loss, weight gain, insomnia, headaches, you know, gut issues, arthritis, joint pains, lack of sleep, um, you know, difficulty breathing, um, you know, indigestion, and um, even the onset of new illnesses that were not diagnosed prior, auto, new diagnoses of autoimmune diseases, or even cancer, because we, through grief, and it's a stressful time that we our body starts to produce extra free radicals. And if we're not taking care of those, free radicals are responsible for illnesses and the breakdown of our immune system. Sure. And if we mm -hmm. do not protect our bodies against those extra free radicals, then we open ourselves up to those diseases and, and malfunctions of our body. And it's, um, you know, when we can start to address how do you fix those physical symptoms. And, and I believe in a combination of things of, you know, really focusing on exercise and nutrition, which is, is so interconnected and interrelated to our, our mental health as well. And then, you know, normal grief. I mean, everybody goes through that grieving process on their own, but normal grief is where you really do within a matter of time, I would say anywhere from one to three years, I mean, um, where you feel like you're able to resume some sort of normal life activities, still remembering your loved one. Right. Complicated is when we get to the point where there's depression is involved. And mind you, Ron, that depression is not a normal part of grief. Okay. Um, there could be prior existing conditions. You may already be depressed before experiencing a loss or you know, there may be substance abuse involved with that. Um, or me mentally, the way we think about things is, is you know, if I were to tell myself, I will never, ever, ever get over the loss of my child, then guess what? I will never, ever, ever get over the loss of my child. Um, but if I say, yes, I, I can move through this, I'll be okay, then believing that will help. And so, you know, we want to, be mindful that there's the normal grief, but also understand this is part of life, life and death. It's the circle of life. Right. And mm -hmm. that we just need to understand that it, that it happens and that um, it, it's, it's normal and it's a skill. It really is a skill to learn how to grieve. And it's, it's good. You mentioned that, that depression is not uh, a normal part of the grief process for our audience. So if somebody's out there, and they're noticing that and somebody you suggest what get get them see if you can get them some help let them know yeah you know if somebody is has is at a point where they can't get out of bed they're crying 24/7 right um you know that that they have ideation of joining their loved one either what it would be like to join them or even suicidal ideation to expedite that process um, you know, lack of energy, lack of self-care, lack of any type of motivation. Well, those are some common signs and symptoms of depression, and it is recommended to seek some help. 
However, this is that tough point, Ron, is like, well, when somebody's depressed, they don't realize that they need help. Yeah. And that's where having somebody else, and this is somewhat like you asked about a person who wants to help a friend or a family member who is going through loss, you know, depression is that same thing. It's like, you know, I see this um, happening to you and this is what I recommend and offering to go with, et cetera, you know, being that, doing these acts out of love and kindness. Yes. Yeah. It has to be uh, out of love and kindness and not some harsh words or, you know, trying to force somebody to do something. Now you wrote in your book that if grief is not processed, it can come out sideways. Can you explain what you meant by that? Yeah, absolutely. So that even comes out like in our physical, as we've discussed, but even long-term having those impact of, of at a later point, not being able to handle stress, um, lack of motivation, you know, um, lack of even wanting to take care of yourself or in relationships is harboring anger harboring even guilt and, and wanting to take on responsibility or, you know, questioning why couldn't you have done more? You know, those are things that need to be processed along with the grief. And if those questions follow you like this dark cloud, it impacts your, your relationships, you know, with a spouse down the road, with children, right. with, um, in a work scenario, so, Peggy, let's discuss uh, the subject of your book, Life After Child Loss, The Mother's Survival Guide to Cope and Find Joy. Now, it's terrible. People are in the position of losing a child. Nobody expects to be uh, in this place, and nobody expects a child to pass away before them. It's just not the order. Tell us, why do parents feel guilty about what happened when they lose a child? Well, just like you mentioned there that, you know, we have past 75 to 100 years, American culture, we have come to expect that children outlive us. And this is so based on advances in medicine where we have um, premature children um, being born and being expected to live or that there's no accidents, there's no childhood diseases We've come to, as a society, to expect this. And when, when that order is disrupted, then it impacts a grieving uh, a mother who thought that they would die before their child. And it's such a, again, a societal thing for us to work through. If we think about it is that, you know, again, 75 to 100 years ago, farming communities, farming families had numerous children, eight, 10, 12 children, because they knew that 50% of them would pass by the age of 10. Sure. The child and mortality were, rate. The child mortality rate and that we've expected that to be eradicated, but we still have things happen. You know, it's not farming accidents on the farm anymore, but it's, but it's, um, you know, premature, premature children who then um, have, you know, um, physical limitations, or we have cancer for young children. It's not the farming accidents, but we have other diseases and 
scenarios which are taking the lives of kids. And it, and it stinks. It, it, it's hard to think that to outlive a child, but it, it's a part of life. Yeah. Uh, can you explain to us uh, the elephant in the room concept when it comes uh, to dealing with discussing a child who has passed? Can you discuss that? Yes. <laughs> you know, with that one, Ron, with my first child, she was nine months old when she passed. And yeah. my in-laws had a small little decoration that was an apple tree with the names of all the kids on that apple tree. Right. And other grandkids and, and then my additional three children, when we would go over to grandma's house, she would pull Courtney's name, my youngest, off that apple tree because the kids got older that they could read. Now, my kids didn't know about it, but the cousins did. And big piece of that is because their dad was not open to sharing with his own children that there was a sister, an older sister. And that conversation, I actually shared that with my kids. It was a process. But when we would go to events, then Courtney's name wasn't brought up and people were afraid to speak about her because it would upset her dad. And if my other children are around, it was that hush hush thing. And so many people are uncomfortable talking about the loss of a child. Yeah. They don't know what to say. They're afraid they're going to say the wrong thing. They don't want to hurt you. They're thinking that they're going to make you cry. Um, but again, it's teaching them how to get through that and what to say. And even it's like, I don't understand, but I'm here for you. And I'm sorry that Courtney died or, you know, I was around her. I remember when she did this and when, you know, she was laughing and giggling, sharing a story. So there are ways to help a grieving parent and eliminate that elephant in the room. I also suggest that the parents who are experiencing loss share, you know what, Ron, I know you knew Courtney. What was your favorite story? And encouraging others to be able to break that elephant in the room. So it's, I believe it's also placed on the bereaved to be able to bring that subject up. Yeah. I mean, if they don't hear about, if people just ignore it, like it never happened, it probably doesn't make them feel very well. I can imagine. No, it doesn't. And what happens a lot of times too, Ron, is that's, you know, if we were to be talking and, and especially like, the, you know, if I first met you and, and we got to talking about my loss, um, so many times the reaction is like, oh my gosh, you may reflect on yourself and go, wow, I can't imagine that. And you start thinking about your own children. And um, it's, it really throws people into a different way of thinking as well. So being prepared for the different scenarios and, and where your children are discussed, um, where they're brought up in conversation and how much to share each time. Right. So how does one answer the question, how many children do you have when a child has passed? How do you answer that question? Well, 
that was a great segue. I had no idea that was the next question, but when I said on different circumstances, so let's say you and I meet in the grocery store and um, we're talking in the checkout line and just casual conversation. Oh, Ron, yeah, you live close to me. How many children do you have and how old are they? And then you may ask me the same. And I may say, I have four children, um, you know, three girls and one boy and may drop that. And, you know, um, I may not feel it necessary for me to say, yes, I have a nine month old who died 30 years ago. And I have a 24 year old who died um, in 2018, because I think it's, it impacts you know, how ready somebody is to that conversation. So, so many times I really state what I'm comfortable with that I have four children. And the fact that I have two in heaven may not always be in that first conversation. There's been numerous times where I've met somebody, mentioned that, and then months, you know, sometime later, um, it comes up that I have two kids in heaven. But that's now based on more of having a more of a relationship rather than yeah. just a yeah. casual conversation in the store. Right. So it's going to vary uh, in terms and that's of being comfortability. Yeah. Yeah, you know, for somebody, that's one of the ways I coach them is these are the different scenarios in which um, they these questions are going to come up. So how do you want to answer those questions? Right. Um, you know, in helping them, because I think it's, for me, I call it a need to know basis. Yeah. Need to share yeah. basis. Yeah. And so I help them to formulate responses for different scenarios. Very good. What thoughts uh, do you have for people to do on the birthday of the deceased child? I know that must be a tough day. That is a tough day. And, you know, I can compare the two of mine because Courtney didn't make it to her first birthday and Connor had 24. Um, and so what I've done is in a variety of different ways is, is recognize them. I personally have not thrown birthday parties. I've gotten together with friends and family to acknowledge and recognize them. Um, but others, I have seen that they have just thrown full blow on birthday parties for them and to celebrate and acknowledge and, and uh, memorialize them. So it's again, what you're comfortable with. And there's so many different ways that you can do it. So I, again, I offer those options to what makes you feel comfortable. Now, one of the biggest things I have found, though, regardless of what you do, is knowing what you're going to do. And by planning, even if it's planning to do nothing, that you can anticipate that that day is coming and what you can do with it. Right. No right or wrong answers. It's just what feels best for you, what fits into your, your mode the best. How can, grieving, yes. how can a grieving parent uh, prevent from idolizing the deceased child and making family uh, survivors uncomfortable. I've seen this where some, somebody will pass away and, you know, they're just put up on a pedestal. And it, can you talk about that at all? Guilty, guilty as charged. And I realized it though. Um, and this was after my son died is that I was all about starting the Memorial Foundation. I was gonna have a plaque put up on my wall. 
Um, I had a name picked out for that and everything was about him. And something that I realized is that he was not a saint. He was a 24 year old young man that had his faults. And while I was memorializing him, I was forgetting his sisters and those who were left in the land of the living. And it was a shocker to me because I was like, this is not right. And I loved and grieved for my son, but I also needed to love and live for my daughters. And it's to me, memorializing them in such a way that it's healthy, that you can live through things and that you're still not um, engulfed in your grief and every single waking moment is about the deceased. I think that there is that point where you can just memorialize and idolize them, but they weren't perfect, you know? And so what I do is remember his imperfections and just really say, you know what, this is, this, this is my son. This is who he was. He wasn't perfect. And I love him for who he was and, and, and what he did, but I need to live for those left behind. Yes. Yes. Makes perfect sense. What advice do you have for married people going through the process of losing a child uh, to prevent their marriage from unraveling? I I love that question. Um, It's interesting because with Courtney, the pastor who did her memorial service advised her dad and I that 50% of marriages do not survive the loss of a child. I am divorced and um, I don't believe that the loss of Courtney was the main factor. There were contributing factors, but as we mentioned earlier, how grief can come out sideways. And I believe that was part of the demise of my um, marriage. And I was, I was working through it and he was not. So I think that's something that's important is to be able to work through it. I think this is one of those cases where it takes work on both parties individually, but then also coming together because each person grieves differently in knowing and understanding that is as important as your own process. If your marriage is important, that you both seek help individually and then come together. I really recommend that because the grief is so different. Excellent point. And and thank you for sharing that. Uh, Explain to us the stress factor involved with losing a child and the importance of self-care. Yeah, you know, um, like we talked about with the physical manifestation and and the stress with it is, you know, it depends on where you are in your life cycle in having children. I mean, Courtney was nine months old and my first child and we had already had planned on having other children. So they weren't replacements, but they were already in the plans. And then Connor was 24. And so that was, there was no more to be had. And so the stress of being able to manage my grief and um, the 
complications of any physical manifestations of it. It's so important to be able to work through that and, and take care of yourself. And then the second part of your question, Ron? Uh, the importance of self-care. Uh, maybe you could touch on, on some uh, important things people can do. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so self-care covers so many you know, aspects of it. And this is where I teach the interconnection and the relationship you know, is with like, let's just take exercise for an example in your mental health. Well, exercise produces positive, good endorphins, right. which gets, helps with the mental state in, in helping to eliminate such negativity and can even circumvent depression because of those endorphins. It gets your heart rate going when you exercise and, and that's good for your body. And so those are ways to help to reduce that stress. And so it's so interconnected. And then what you eat, it impacts um, your physical health and it impacts your gut. Your gut is a second brain, which tells you what you're thinking and to see that connection. So it's not just to focus on one component of your health. And there's so many ways, you know, like I said, the physical, you know, with exercise, nutrition, different types of treatments, you know, chiropractic or massage or Reiki, um, essential oils, um, you know, those type of things. Journaling helps with the mental mindset. And then, you know, that can help manifest the willingness and desire to exercise. So self-care and giving yourself that grace to sit also in your grief. When my son died, I knew that I was in for a long journey. Yeah. And I also gave myself permission to say, if I'm grieving and if I have grief hit me when I'm in the grocery store, so be it. Because I'm human. Right. And right. it was important for me. And if somebody saw great. If somebody saw and asked if I was okay, I was open to just sharing in a short. It's like, Hey, I'm sad because my son has recently passed away. And, you know, if need to, I've left, or I was able to take a few deep breaths and give myself my, that grace and to finish my grocery shopping. So, you know, that self-care and understanding but it's that fine line on letting that slip into the depressive state. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm sure that crying was a great catharsis at the time for you. Oh, absolutely. Peggy, what was the catalyst to prompt you to write the book? Um, yeah. So I spent the first year on Facebook. Um, sharing my journey, my process. And it would, so my post included things from how I was feeling to the, the depths of my grief and, and what I was feeling. But along with that, I would also, it, it, it was more of a natural process included. This is what I'm doing. This is how I'm thinking differently. Hey, I exercised my way through this. Or I journaled my way to think about this and gain clarity. Or I started thinking about this differently. So as I continued to blog on Facebook for a year, I was um, encouraged 
to write a book. And honestly, Ron, I thought it would be so easy. I would just take all my Facebook posts, slap it in a book, and I'd be done. That's so easy, yeah, I'm not, sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but yeah, you know, but that was not the case when I actually got to working with a publishing company. Like, no, that's, you know, that's a great something you can put on your website, which is on my website, the first 365 days. Yeah. And you can see my journey with that. But I was encouraged by others in knowing that I was helping them in their grief. And so when I put it together in my head, it's like, oh, these are the steps. These are the tools. This is what I've done to make it through this loss. So that's where that one, one came. And that one has a lot of the things. Um, there's so many questions with a newly bereaved person. Um, and I'm actually working on another book where it's the four cornerstones of healing, where I talk about more of those um, health dimensions and using those tools. Because when I look back, this is what makes me me is that I've exercised and I've believed in nutrition and, and, and the way I think that has been my foundation as well and to be able to share those. So it's the holistic approach as well. Going into a little bit more depth on the four um, health arenas than my first book does. Well, you just answered my, my next question, uh, which was, do you have any future plans to write another book? But the second part of that question uh, is what excites you the most going forward? You know, from working with my clients, um, having one now who her son just barely a year ago died by suicide in much of the same journey as my own son's. But when she came to me with that despair of understanding suicide and what were the next steps to take. And today, when we met on Zoom, just to see the joy in her face and the sparkle in her eyes versus when we started six weeks ago in where it was more of that dark cloud. So to see that she's having some, infusing some life back into her and seeing that progress Right. As she's moving, moving through. So really to see from, to see somebody move through that and gain the tools and resources to live that happy life, to have hope where they can experience peace, joy, and happiness again. Yeah. Well, you're very genuine. You're very authentic about that. Peggy, Thank you. How, how can people contact you? I'm sure there's probably people out there that need your services or know somebody who does. How can they contact you? Uh, well, thank you. So, you know, there are a couple ways, but I do want to share also. So as you listen to this, if this resonates you, please do reach out to me. I offer a complimentary session just to talk, get the feel of what a grief coach is and does and how we could work together. My second point is, is if this is not for you, but you've heard of someone else who's lost a child, lost a, a child to suicide, please just share this podcast because like I said, 30 years ago, I didn't have these resources. So don't keep this to yourself help someone else and using this as that stepping stone as one of your questions ron was how do you help someone sharing something like this is huge yeah. so yeah. It, yeah absolutely so you know 
to set up a grief breakthrough session, you can visit my website and, um, you know, we can work something out with that. There's, it says schedule your grief breakthrough session. And that website is thegriefspecialist.com. And the is with two E's okay. because okay. I've had plenty of experience. I'm the grief specialist. Yes, you are. Or, yes, thank you. Or the other way is um, directly email me and just in the subject line, you know, um, consultation schedule. And it's peggy.griefrecovery at gmail.com. Um, so peggy.griefrecovery at gmail.com. All right. We'll schedule and, a time. And is there any way people who like to text can get a hold of you? Um, you know, right now it's 303-345-1501. And again, just say grief breakthrough session. You heard um, the podcast runs. Uh, wrapping. Um, no, it's a wrap with wrap. It's a wrap. Yeah, wrapping. There we go. Thank you. Um, you can, you know, text that and say you're just interested. And I do offer that because so many people don't understand until you've experienced it the difference between a counselor and a grief coach. And you know what? You can have options. And it may even be a combination of the two. Sure. Just like in my accident, I've used massage therapy. I've used a chiropractor. You know, I've yeah. done physical yeah. therapy. So it's not a one and only way to be right. able to process this. They're, is to they, find they, things that get you through it. They can be synergistic, right? Absolutely. I am going to put all that information uh, that you just told me in the podcast notes for our audience. So they will be in the podcast notes. Thank you, Peggy, for educating us uh, on the subject of grief counseling and writing your helpful book about a very sensitive subject. I'm so glad that your, uh, your book and your advocacy on this subject will help so many people. And I wish you all the best going forward. Uh, comments and suggestions to improve the podcast are always welcome. You can email us at itsawrapwithrap at gmail.com. Our website where you can sign up for our newsletter is it's a wrap with rap.com. We're on Facebook. It's a wrap with rap. Uh, all the podcasts are on uh, my YouTube channel. Uh, it's, it's a wrap with rap, the podcast uncut. We are now on Instagram. It's a wrap with rap. Uh, thanks everyone for listening. Please stay safe. And for now it's a wrap.